Hello, everyone. Silent Night. It's, um, it's one of those carols that many of us might have heard or sung hundreds of times. Um, you know, it's played at the shops, you sing it at school pageants, um, carols by candlelight, um, and we sing it at services like this. Um, I don't know about you, but I often forget to engage with the song, as Lockie was, was sharing, that we, we sing without really engaging our brains. Um, so if, if you're like me, and I suspect a lot of you are, um, I'm hoping we can change that. Um, there's something really powerful about this, this Christmas carol. Um, so, yeah, my hope is over the next few minutes, um, as we reflect on this carol, um, that we wouldn't just think about it, but we would actually feel what it is that this is this sharing, that this is, it, it's a carol that's designed to, to cut to the heart, not just be in, in the mind. So, um, as it says in Ephesians, that we would grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God. And it's not an impersonal love. It's a personal one. It's a tangible love. Um, and yeah, I'm hoping we can, we can all come to believe that and feel that. Um, so the point of this carol is it's not about complex theological truths. It's a relatively simple story. It's a, um, the author's aim is that we might feel and that we would experience what it might have been like for, for Mary and for, the, um, for those other, others in the story. Um, that, that we would realise that the birth of Jesus didn't just mean something powerful for them back then, but it means something powerful for us today. Um, so as we walk through the carol now, um, let's try to put ourselves in the scene um, and experience the wonder and the significance of Jesus' birth, that we might have a silent, holy moment. So here's our opening verse of Silent Night. But first I just want to set the context. So our characters are Jews under Roman rule. So they're not slaves, but they're poor and they have very few rights and they're pretty much trapped in that situation they're in. Being Jews, they'll be familiar with the prophecies um, that talk of a promised Messiah that would come and rescue them. And that they wouldn't have really known what it meant, but they would have discussed it and had a sort of wonder what this Messiah is going to be and who, when's he going to come? Um, so let's imagine the life of Mary. So if we go back to the beginning of her story in Luke, Mary's probably around about 15 years old. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. In other words, Mary was freaked out. <laughs> Wouldn't we all? I mean, she would have heard the stories of, of the prophets of old and their encounters with, um, with God and his message, but it's been 400 years since the last prophet. This is not a normal event, and it's certainly not normal for a young woman in a country town. So this is an extraordinary event. Um, but the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, 
and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary's cousin Elizabeth and her fiancé Joseph have also had encounters with angels. And you can be pretty sure they're all going to be chatting over the coming months about, well, what did they say and what was it like? And, and trying to understand their experiences and what this is all going to mean. Then Mary needs to go to Bethlehem. She has to leave her family and friends behind and travel about 160 k's or thereabouts. Now I hear 160 k's and I think, oh, I just hop in the car, stick on the air conditioning and off we go. This is not their experience. This is a 10-day trip. She's on foot or maybe on a donkey. We don't really know. Um, it's tough going, and if you're eight months pregnant, that's a really tough journey, and you're leaving all your family and friends behind, you can't call them up, you can't FaceTime them, it's going to be lonely, it's going to be tough. Um, Then Mary gives birth to Jesus, and she has to care for this miracle child, Um, and it's here that this carol begins. I forgot to mention, when she's arrived in Bethlehem, she doesn't get to just hop into a nice comfortable hotel bed. She gets to sleep with the animals. Um, I don't know if I'd be able to sleep, but anyway, I'm sure it's going to be tough. So the carol's begun. It's dark. The town is quiet. Uh, Jesus is asleep. And imagine how Mary might be feeling. She's exhausted. She's vulnerable. She's powerless. Yet she'd be in awe of this wonder before her. And she'd be thinking about the angel's words and, and this contrast of what the promise was, was and what her experience is. She's in this vulnerable state, isolated from her family and friends, but as instructed, she and Joseph name him Jesus, which means the Lord saves. From sleeping with the animals in this meagre place, he would be called Son of the Most High. From their poverty... He will be given the throne of David. And from their powerless situation, he will reign over Israel forever. So God, with all creation before him, he hasn't stayed on his throne of power. He has chosen to become a helpless child in a helpless situation to save a helpless people. God has chosen a young, ordinary woman to be Jesus' mother. You see, we don't have an aloof God that doesn't want to engage. We've got a God that wants to be with us. He's, uh, this, this is an extraordinary God that we have. Um, he chose to experience the life of ordinary people with their struggles and hardships. He chose to get to know us firsthand, that we might get to know him firsthand. Mary knows that she and this child are not going to have an easy life. It's been pretty pretty obvious so far. But she also knows that God's in control and that God's love surrounds them. And as the carol says, Jesus can sleep in heavenly peace. And I would argue that I think the same can be true for us, that no matter what our circumstances are, no matter what your circumstances are, God is in control, God's love surrounds you, and you can know heavenly peace. So the shepherds, silent night, holy night, shepherds quake at the sight. It seems God has a soft spot for shepherds. What was it that David did before he became king? Yeah, he was a shepherd. 
So um, on the night Jesus is born, a group of shepherds have an encounter with heaven that will transform their lives. So let's look at the passage uh, from Luke chapter 2. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favour rests. Again, this is no ordinary event. These shepherds have an encounter with the glory of the Lord, and it terrifies them. Remember, shepherds are often faced with danger. Their job is to protect their sheep from wild animals and from thieves. So they're not going to be easily scared, but yet they are scared by a visitation from heaven. It's a spiritually profound moment. So this encounter tells me three things. Firstly, that God's love is for everyone. He chose to share the good news with just some ordinary shepherds. So we don't need to be special for God to think we're special. Secondly, God wants to be part of our lives. He reached down and revealed his glory to these shepherds just to share the good news. So he wants to communicate with each of us. But finally, the thing that I guess most stands out for me in this story is the experience of being in the presence of God. You see, one day we're going to spend eternity in the presence of a God that causes shepherds to quake. We're going to be in the presence of one who makes us um, and who made all of creation. We will be in the presence of one who causes every knee to bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. The presence of one who causes a great multitude of angels to sing, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favour rests. Or, as it says in the carol, hallelujah, Christ our Saviour is born. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never seen an angel. Um, I've never been surrounded by the glory of the Lord. But have you ever, ever had any of those moments where you felt God has been present? Have you ever had a taste of what the glory of the Lord might be like? Um, Because as it says in Psalm 84, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I remember when I was eight years old, I think for the first time I realised that I needed God to forgive me, I needed Jesus to save me. Um, So I asked for forgiveness. And it was at that time I just, I remember this sense that God was there, that he was watching over me, he was smiling with love, and he offered unconditional forgiveness. I remember when I was 16 um, and not only did I want God's forgiveness but I wanted to give my life to him and so I chose to do that. And I remember again there was just that sense that God was with me, that he was watching over me, smiling with love and with a purpose for my life. I remember when I was 24, I was on my honeymoon with my beautiful wife. We were down in Tasmania. Um, and we were travelling along the road and there were police cars and ambulance flying back and forth towards Port Arthur. 
So it was April 96. The night before, we had decided that we would change our plans and not go to Port Arthur. So um, it was, you know, we would have been there during that dreadful massacre. Um, and I remember that time, but we, we both mentioned that we just, we, I felt heartache for those that were, that were there. But we also had this sense that God was there. He was smiling over us with love and with his guiding hand. I could keep going. I've got many more stories. But, um, and I know I'm not alone in moments like these. Um, I, I think the appearance of the shepherds and our own experiences in the presence of God, uh, they might be rare, but they are powerful reminders that God is there that he's watching over us, he's smiling with love and, and we can rely on that and that the greatest thing there is in life is to know him um, and one day we will be in his presence. Um, that one day we will be overwhelmed by his glory. So can you remember a time um, when you were aware of God reaching out to you to show his love and power. Uh, I think sometimes we forget. Um, I think sometimes we don't notice. We're too busy in our busy lives to take notice of what God's, God's up to. Um, sometimes it takes us to purposefully pursue him. Um, so it's... Maybe I'm a bit like the disciple Thomas, you know, that I, he had to see Jesus' side and, and the holes before he'd believe. But for me, these are, these are the things I hang on to when my faith's weak. That I'm reminded that this is not a theoretical God that I worship. This is a real God. A real God that one day I'm going to get to be with for eternity. And um, that keeps me going. So, the final verse, it moves from Mary and the, to, and the um, shepherds and it becomes just us and Jesus. And he, and, and we are called to worship the one who transformed Mary and the shepherds' lives. To worship the one who transformed the lives of his disciples and who transforms the lives of his disciples today. That's you and me. The God whose glory causes shepherds to shake with fear has become a helpless baby lying in a manger. Jesus' birth is the dawn of God's redeeming grace, the beginning of a life that will ultimately be surrendered to pay the penalty for our sin. Jesus, whose name means the Lord saves. Jesus, who is the Lord. One day we will be in his presence and the only thing we will be able to do is bow in worship. This Jesus, Lord at his birth, Lord of all, he knows us and he loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I want to finish with a passage from Ephesians. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Lord Jesus, I pray that we 
being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is your love for us, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I pray tonight, this silent night, that you would meet with us, that we might experience your holy presence. Love's pure light, radiant beams from your holy face, your redeeming grace. Jesus, Lord. Amen.